me to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 9. We'll begin to read in verse number 1. 2 Samuel chapter 9, we'll begin to read in verse number 1. We've been studying through the book of 2 Samuel on Wednesdays, uh, and we're going to preach through chapter 9 this morning on this subject, a second chance for a dead dog. A second chance for a dead dog. 2 Samuel chapter 9. And we'll begin to read this morning, verse number 1. I'll invite you to stand this morning, all those that can, and are able in honor and reverence for the reading of God's Word. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 9, begin reading verse 1. The Bible says these words. Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness, the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he's in the house of Machir, the son of a meal in Lodibar. Then the king sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of a meal from Lodibar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I've given, you your master's, I've given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul, and to all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest of your master's son, uh, your master's son, that he may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelled in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your spirit would speak to us today. God, and challenge us. Father, I pray if there's one here today who's a dead dog in their sin, that God, they'll experience the only second chance that can be found through grace, through what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross as they turn and respond to his invitation of grace today. Father, I pray that you will break and burden the heart of this church family, God, over the continued state of lostness that resides in so many hearts and lives, those who we come in contact with every day, we work with, we're neighbors with. They're in our families, God. Lord, some are even members of churches. Father, they've never been saved. And God, I pray that what moved you to send your son to die on an old rugged cross would move us and break our hearts to carry and share, to carry and share that good news just like Ziba did. Bless this time, and God, we simply pray, whatever it is that you desire to accomplish in someone's heart today, God, we pray it will come to pass as we respond to your will. It's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Now I invite you to be seated. As we've been studying through the book of 2 Samuel, uh, we've seen David now establish his kingdom. Remember in 1 Samuel, uh, God called Samuel to be a righteous prophet. He replaced Eli, who certainly was far from that, and his sons certainly resembled uh, what he had led them to become, uh, just through apathy and indifference to their sin. And the people wanted a king. They didn't want God to be Lord of their lives. They really wanted to be like all the other nations, and to have a king who was heads and shoulders above everyone else, who had the look 
Uh, but they really didn't want the Word of God to be Lord over their life. And friend, I want to remind you, one of the greatest judgments, you need to hear me this morning, one of the greatest judgments God can give you is what you want rather than what you need. And God gave the people what they wanted. He gave them Saul, and he turned out to be an absolute nightmare. He failed God, he failed the people, and he failed uh, his own family. And he failed himself. But God found the king after his own heart, the son of Jesse, whose name was David. And for several years, God grew him, he developed him, and now his kingdom has finally been established. We saw uh, just last week on Wednesday evening how uh, his kingdom has now been established in Jerusalem, he's still growing. He still has areas of his life that he needs to develop in. But his kingdom has been established. Now, don't miss this. There was a, a dynasty custom that all those of a former dynasty should be destroyed and put away with so that they could not lay claim to the new kingship and the new dynasty of a new king. And that certainly could have taken place through the life of Mephibosheth, who was the grandson of King Saul. But something had happened in David's life years ago. You see, Saul had a son by the name of Jonathan. And the Bible records in 1 Samuel 18, verses 1 through 4, 1 Samuel verse 20, uh, chapter 20, verses 14 through 17, and also in verse number 42 of 1 Samuel chapter 20, that David and Jonathan established a covenant with one another, that they would be kind to each other's families. Jonathan knew that David was the rightful heir that God would place upon the throne. But verse number 42 of 1 Samuel 20 says this, Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord. They've made a covenant together, saying, May the Lord be between me and you, and between your descendants and my descendants forever. And that meant all of his children that would still continue to live, that David was to show kindness to them and to help meet their needs. And so even though David has established his kingdom, he begins to think about this covenant that he established with Jonathan. And in verse number 1 of our text, he poses a question in chapter 9, verse 1. David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And so he asks a question. He says, Is there, is there any descendant because of the covenant that's been established, he said, that I can show kindness to. And there was. Now, so I want you to notice four truths this morning about a second chance for a dead dog. Number one, I want you to notice first off this morning, the sad consequence. The sad consequence. Well, the answer to David's question was yes, there was one. And we're introduced now to Mephibosheth. Not the most easy name uh, to pronounce, but that's what his mom and dad decided to name him. And so the Bible says in verse number 2, there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And so when they had called him to David, the king said, are you Ziba? And he said, at your service. And the king repeated his question. Verse 3, he says, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? Because of the covenant. You see these individuals, they weren't worthy of it. They didn't deserve it. But because of the covenant that he had made, he desired to show them kindness. And Ziba, who's one of Saul's servants, said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. Second Samuel chapter 4 and verse 4 records that after Saul and Jonathan had been killed by the Philistines in 1 Samuel chapter 31, that panic struck the palace. And Jonathan's son's nurse, Mephibosheth's nurse, picked him up and in the panic uh, began to run. You've seen movies where, you know, the, the, the giant swamp monster comes out of the sea and everybody in the, in the city goes off running and screaming uh, across the city in, in a panic. Uh, too, too real to us. Or just years ago on 9-11, you saw those pitiful people running down the streets of New York uh, for their lives, terror-stricken, just running covered in ashes. Well, such was the case of reality for uh, Mephibosheth's nurse, that she knew the kingdom had been destroyed. And so running for her life, she picked up Mephibosheth. And as she ran, apparently she tripped and she dropped him. And as a young boy, he fell down, and now he's become lame. Both of his feet are broke. He's lame in his feet. You see, don't miss this this morning. One of the sad consequences of, of what had happened was Mephibosheth was damaged by the fall. See, his life has been altered now because there was a fall 
that had taken place in his life. And because of that, the Bible says now he's helpless and he's hopeless. And this is also shared further by, by where he lives. Verse 4 says, so the king said to him, where is he? Where, where, does this, where does this young man live? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Major, the son of Emil, in Lodibar. And so because of what had happened, because Saul had died, because Jonathan had been destroyed, and because he had fallen and his feet had been damaged, he had been damaged by the fall, he was helpless. There's nothing that this individual could do to help himself. Uh, you see, then... There weren't pro now in our country there are programs that are designed to help people that can't help themselves, but they're exploited by people who can help themselves but won't help themselves, and we cripple them by helping them. But here's an individual, there wasn't a program to help those who were crippled and couldn't help themselves. He needed help. He needed encouragement. He, he, was, he was helpless. He had no way to provide really for him and his family. And because of that, he was hopeless. There was, he was hiding out, praying that David would forget that he even existed. And there, there's no way the king would come and find him and do with him what the custom of so many other kings was to do, and that was to destroy the family of anyone that could lay claim to the throne. He was helpless, and he was hopeless. But this is further illustrated by where he lived. The Bible says he lived in a place called Lodibar. This was a place, friend, that had cheap, land for sale. Lodibar literally means without pasture. Without pasture. Nothing grew there. You couldn't grow hay. You couldn't even grow weeds in Lodibar. There was nothing absolutely that grew in Lodibar. And this really represents what his life was. It was absolutely fruitless. It was barren. He was destitute. And this was offering a sad consequence, listen, of the fall that he had experienced in his life. He was a place without pasture. Mephibosheth, really, he's a picture of all mankind. You see, all mankind, friend, was born damaged by the fall. The Bible says in the book of Genesis chapter 3 that all was perfection in the garden. What a beautiful thing that God came to worship with Adam and Eve every day in the cool of the day. But the Bible says the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God created. And into the midst of the garden where God says, take the garden, take the land, till it, Here's your wife. You two be fruitful. You multiply. Ten. The earth is yours in the fullness thereof. But, but there's one tree in the midst of the garden. You are not to eat of it. For the day thou eatest thou of, you will surely die. And the Bible says that the serpent, Satan, was more subtle than any beast filled which the Lord God created. And he came in and he tempted Eve. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. And she yielded. She willfully took from the tree. She gave to Adam. He willfully ate from the tree, and at that very moment, they died spiritually. And there was a fall. And because of that, friend, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, don't miss this. By one man, sin entered the world, and death by sin. And all of us were born because of that with a sin nature. We were born damaged by the fall. Listen, apart from divine intervention, just like Mephibosheth, who needed divine, kingly intervention in his life to find victory, and to find hope, and to find a different life away from where he was in Lodibar. So you and I are born, friend, without any help, without any hope, except a divine intervention from Almighty God. Our lives, friend, as far as God is concerned, are absolutely fruitless. Ephesians 2 says that we are dead and trespasses in sin. And it's all because of the fall. And that's all mankind, friend. You say, well, what's the big deal? We're born with a, a sin nature. As a matter of fact, I think I'm a pretty good person. Friend, the Bible says there's none that doeth good. No, not one. The Bible says that all have sinned, Romans 3, 23. You know, there's a precious little baby in the back of the church, and he's just the best little baby sitting back there, and, and we're so happy uh, that, uh, you know, this little child has the opportunity to grow up in a godly home now. Uh, but friend, make no mistake, that little baby's born with a sin nature. And that little baby one day will grow to a place where he'll be held accountable to God for his sin. There'll be a day where he'll become accountable unto God. And when Jesus died on the cross, friend, he died not only for me, but for that little tiny baby that's back there this morning. 
And friend, he died because that's the sad consequence of the fall. We're all born with a sin nature. We're all born, friend, Romans 6.23 says, to where one day, friend, if you die without Jesus Christ, the Bible says you'll spend eternity in a place called hell. And listen, we've heard that so much in the South, so many people, they've become numb to it. They've just become numb to it. You see, you don't miss your air, you really don't appreciate your air conditioner until it goes out. You don't appreciate your cell phone until it goes out and you can't call. You just become used to it. I'm telling you, here in the South, we are so... I was talking to some people this week. Here in the South, it's like trying to pour fresh water into a stagnant swamp. The area in which we live, friend, has had so much doctrine poured into it. It's stagnant. And you try to pour fresh water into it, and all it does is run off. It just runs off. What we need to be reminded of in the church is the reality of that we are surrounded by people every day, just like Mephibosheth, spiritually, who are hopeless, they're helpless, they're living in a place that's without pasture, and it's the sad result, friend, of the fall, but there's a consequence. There's an eternal separation from God in a place called hell for all those people who won't be saved. My dad told me he was watching the Weather Channel last week, and he saw where there'd been a volcano that erupted somewhere. And he was talking about, he just watched, he saw that hot magma coming up out of the earth and oozing out. And people just sit and look at it. And it's an amazing thing to see. But can you imagine falling into that, friend? And what that would feel like? Friend, listen, those moments would feel like a day on a cool ski slope compared to what hell's going to feel like for all eternity. That's the reality. That's the sad consequence of the fall. Second, I want you to notice this morning, the sovereign call. David heard all these things. He was reminded of the covenant. He was stirred in his heart to inquire, is there anyone of the house of Jonathan that I may show kindness for his sake? And so he began to hear all of these things, that there, there was one. And so the Bible says in verse number 5, Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Mature, the son of Emil, from Lodibar. I like the word the old King James uses, he fetched him. He fetched him. The Bible says that he, he sent for him and he brought him. Now listen to me. Mephibosheth wasn't seeking him. He wasn't looking for David. Matter of fact, he didn't even know that there was blessing that could be found. And truth be told, he was hiding from David, hoping David would never even think about him. There he was, helpless and hopeless. But friend, praise God, David was seeking him. Because he remembered the covenant. And so he was broken, and he had no way to fix his life. And in the midst of his plight, listen, the king comes looking for him. And he issues a sovereign call. Verse 5 says, he sent for him, and he brought him. And so he arrested his attention. Mephibosheth didn't have a choice. The king hemmed him up. And now he had to listen to what it was that the king had to say. The Bible says in verse number 6, Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and he prostrated himself there before this. He humbled himself. And then David said, Mephibosheth. He called him by name. He knew who he was. He wasn't just, he wasn't just a person. He, he called him by name. He recognized that he was Jonathan's son and he had a life. He was precious in the eyes of God. And then he gave him an invitation. Listen to what the Bible says in verse number 7. So David further said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you. This is my desire. I want to restore to you all the land of your Saul, all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. The sovereign call of the king was, I want, I want to give back to you everything that the fall took away. I want to restore to you everything that was lost. And, and that, was, that was his invitation to him. Mephibosheth wasn't seeking it. He wasn't looking for it. He didn't even have any idea that this opportunity even existed in the heart and in the mind of David. But yet David sought for him, he brought him, and he shared with him an invitation. John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus says this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. 
Someone, I've heard it so many times in ministry. People say, well, I, I found God. Friend, that's not true. God wasn't lost. You and I are lost. See, David wasn't lost. Mephibosheth was. Mephibosheth couldn't approach the king. The king had to invite him. And friend, no one comes to God except God initiates the invitation first. People say, you know, well, I'll, I'll get saved when I'm good and ready. Friend, Mephibosheth couldn't just say, well, I'll come when I want to. He had to come when the king invited him to come. You say, well, I'll get saved one of these days. Friend, I want to remind you, the Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for you know not what the day will bring. The Bible says to seek him while he may be found, to call upon him while he is near. It's the Holy Spirit of God that initiates salvation. And the invitation of God, friend, is that he wants to save us. It's God's desire to save all people. In John chapter 3, begin to read in verse number 14, Jesus said these words. He says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Remember that when the nation of Israel was going through the wilderness, they had a, they had a sin that church members don't have today, thank goodness. Uh, they complained a lot. They were never satisfied. Nothing could make I mean, it was, I mean, they weren't like church members today. You know, they're always happy with the air conditioner. Doesn't matter where we sit, where we meet, mass, no mass. We're just glad that we live in America and we've got freedom to come to church while brothers and sisters are being killed for Christ. We're just always glad and happy. Just the way it ever it is, it's the way we like it. Amen? That's what we wish, but no. And that wasn't the way it was when Moses was in ministry. They didn't like manna. They didn't like where they were. They didn't like what God was doing. And so they complained. And finally, one day, God says, that is enough. And the Bible says God sent serpents among them. And everybody that complained, God sent a serpent to bite them. Can you imagine, friend, if God turned loose serpents in the church on Sunday morning to get after all the complainers? Some of you just picked your feet off the floor right then. There'd be people dead everywhere. And so now all of a sudden, they, they hated Moses before, but now that the people of Israel, they come to Moses. Now they love him. They say, Moses, we love you. You're the best pastor. Would you please pray to God for us that we can find a way out of what has happened to us because of sin? And Moses prayed, and God said, I want you to fashion out of bronze a serpent. I want you to put it on a pole, and I want you to lift it up. He said, and when whoever looks at the serpent by faith, they'll live. Everybody, and so Moses was just walking through the camp saying, look and live. Look and live. You, if, if you've been snake bit and you're dying because of your sin, look to this serpent that's on the pole that, that represents judgment. He says, and by faith, look, he says, and you'll live. And that's what Jesus was bringing up. He says, and, and as Moses was lifted up, lifted up a serpent in the wilderness, he said, even so, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Jesus said, just like Moses put the bronze serpent on the pole, he says, I'm going to be placed on a pole, an old rugged cross. Verse 15 says, And whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's why in John chapter 12 and verse 32, Jesus said, If I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. Jesus says, I want all people who are helpless and who are hopeless, who are living spiritually in a place without pasture, I want to extend an invitation to them that if they'll turn and they'll look and they'll receive me, they might, they might live. David says, I want to restore everything to you, Mephibosheth, that was lost in the fall. And that's what Jesus says he desires to do for us. Matthew chapter 11 and verse number 28. Just as David extended an invitation to Mephibosheth, don't miss this this morning, listen. He says, Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are laboring, heavy laden. That is, you're, you're helpless. You're hopeless in your sin. He says, come to me and I'll, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. That means be, let me be Lord of your life. Learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. He says, and you will find rest for your souls. And just like Zeba had gone and brought Mephibosheth before David, friend, I just want to give a word of testimony this morning, that I remember a morning when the Holy Spirit of God came by and he fetched me. And he brought me before a holy God. You said, I mean, what, were you picked up? Did you move? No, friend, it's just where I was sitting. All of a sudden, listen, God arrested my attention. 
I couldn't run from it. I couldn't turn from it. He had my full attention. And the Spirit of God bore witness to my heart that I was helpless, I was hopeless, and the sovereign God of the universe extended a sovereign invitation to me to turn and trust Jesus Christ to be Lord of my life. And that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's what Zeba did. He went and he, he, he went and he fetched. He brought Mephibosheth before David and ministered to help bring him that he might hear this, this sovereign call, this, this plan that David had for his life. And that's what the Holy Spirit does as you're being saved and you have the opportunity to be saved. John chapter 16, verse 8 says that the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, he'll, he'll come and convict of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. Friends, Sunday after Sunday, I'm going to stand up here. Listen, my job, see, God cooks the meal, and my job is to serve it just as hot as I possibly can. But I, I can't shame you into conviction. I can't make you want to be saved. All I can do, friend, is just to extend God's message to you. Th that ministry, friend, that needs to take place is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Only He can convict you of your lostness. He convicts you that you are a sinner. That you stand in need. He convicts you of the righteousness of Christ and your need for it. That, that what Randy's saying about this morning has not become a reality yet. God, God doesn't say what sin. The Holy Spirit says that sin. That's the sin. And that's the sin. And that's the sin. That you've not allowed me to pay for yet. Helpless and hopeless. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Sin, righteousness, and judgment that is to come. Because God's Word says, friend, when you die without Christ, there's an eternal separation from God in a literal place called hell where there's a literal fire in which your body will literally burn for all eternity, but it will never be fully decomposed. What a sad eternal existence. Helpless and hopeless. That's the sovereign call of God. Turn from sin and self, listen, and receive me to be Lord of your life. That's what he said to, to, to Mephibosheth. I want to restore to you all that the fall took away. And the Holy Spirit comes, friend, coupled with the Word of God and a believer who cares about that individual that says, listen to what the Word of God says. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. God wants to restore into your life what the fall in the garden took away from. It's a sovereign call of God. But third, notice this, the saving choice. Now Mephibosheth has to make a choice. He has to choose. Zeba's done his job. David's been faithful to the covenant. He's desired to show kindness to part of Saul's family for Jonathan's sake. But Mephibosheth, he, he, had, to, he had to make a choice. Now listen, he had no choice but to listen he went and fetched him. And friend, I want to encourage you this morning. Those of you that are, you know, quote unquote, running from God, there is the day, there's a deadline, friend, that you can cross when voice and vision will come no more. God, the Spirit of God that calls you to be saved now will stop. You will harden your heart against the call of God, and the opportunity to respond will be no more. But I also want to say this, friend, those of you that, that you know, just like, well, I'm not, I'm not listening, I just I refuse to listen to that. Don't make God drive you to your knees to get your attention. He, he may put you in a hospital bed to get you to where you'll listen to his sovereign call. He may hook you up to a chemo machine to where you've got six hours a day to listen to his call and you can't escape into the lives of others. He may take the dearest thing that's in your life to try to cause you to stop, to get your attention, to listen to what the King of Glory is trying to say to you. Zeba went and fetched him. He had no choice but to listen. You say, you're trying to scare us. No, friend, I'm telling you, when God wants to get your attention, he'll get your attention. And don't make him drive you to your knees to get your attention. But he had Mephibosheth's full attention. He extends an invitation. But now Mephibosheth has to make a choice. He has to choose to respond. He could respond and receive David's invitation. Or listen, how sad, and so many do it. The majority does it. Few there be that finds it, the Bible says. He had a choice, friend, to go back to being helpless and hopeless 
in a place where ragweed wouldn't even grow or to come live in the king's house and have life and life more abundantly. Now, which sounds better to you? That's exactly right. Life and life more abundantly. But yet Satan blinds so many to think, we know you've really got... Listen, if you give in and you go live in the king's house, you're going to be putting away all the good things you've got down in Lodibar. Friend, apart from Jesus Christ, there is no life. There's no life. Now, he had to make the decision, though, to choose where he was going to spend his last natural-born days. And so notice how he began to respond. First off, he responded with humility. Verse 6 says, Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he fell on his face and he prostrated himself. That is, he humbled himself. He didn't walk in before the king and says, Well, I'm here. What do you want? He realized who he was talking to. He realized who he was and he realized who he was talking to. And he humbled himself before the king. Look, his speech even renders it. It's what our title's based off of. Look at verse number 9. The king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I've, I've given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and, and to his house. And, and he began to say, you know, I, I, that's the invitation. But look at verse number 8. He, he bows himself down as David begins to speak to him and extends this invitation in verse 7. And he says, why would you look on somebody that's such a dead dog as I? He realized he had nothing to offer David. And he realized, friend, without David's mercy, he was helpless and hopeless in Lodibar. He truly saw himself that way. I want you to listen to me, friend. You're never going to get saved until you first get lost. See, and the reason so many people in the church can't get saved is because they got moms and dads that have convinced them they are saved because that's what they want so much for them. But there's, no, there's been no change. Friend, I'm just telling you, when the Holy Spirit comes to live in, the Bible teaches there's going to be change. You're going to be a new creature in Jesus Christ. And it's a process of progressive sanctification. You're going to grow in the Lord. But there's going to be change. There's going to be a, a new nature. There's going to be a new nature. And you may be here this morning, friend, and, and listen, you, and you're like, and deep in your heart, the Holy Spirit's hemmed you up and continues to hem you up. And that may be one of the reasons that you don't read your Bible every day, because you don't want to hear the voice of God. Because I'm, friend, I don't care what passage you read. You can read the whole book of the Song of Solomon, and all you're going to hear is lost, 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 until you get saved. That's all God's going to say to you. That's why so many people stay away from the study of God's Word and don't want to come to church. They want to hear what God has to say. Remember a lady, church I pastored, she told one of my deacons, she said, I'm so sick and tired of coming to this church and feeling like I've got to, because every Sunday I leave, I feel like I'm lost. Why do you think that was? Because she'd never been saved. She's a church member. She's on every committee. Carried a clipboard around like she's in charge of everything. But the woman was lost. It's not about being a member of the church. It's about being born again into the family of God. That never become a reality in her life. So I'm just telling you, friend, you, you can go from church to church to church, and you might get to a place that doesn't preach and teach about sin, extend invitations anymore. But until you cross God's deadline, all you're going to hear from God is you're lame, you're helpless, you're hopeless, you're a dead dog without me, and you need to be saved. Nothing's going to change in your life until you humble yourself first before God. Say, God, I cast myself on the finished work of Christ. I'm helpless and hopeless without you. And so he humbled himself. The sad consequence was that he had fallen. The sovereign call of the king was, turn to me. I'll restore to you all that was lost. And so a choice had to be made. And look how he responded in verse number 6. He said, and here's your servant, verse 6. That's the, the last five words there of the verse. Here's your servant. He didn't say, well, I'm ready to join the family. No, he humbled himself before the king and says, I, I receive your kingship over my life. That's how he responded. Verse number 8, he says, What is your servant that you should look on the dead dog as I? He says, I want you to be king over my life. I want your direction now. That was his response. That's how he responded. That's how he chose to receive that. 
He surrenders his life. He turns away from all that Lodibar had to offer, which was nothing. And he received everything that only the king could give him. It's the saving choice. I'm so thankful Romans chapter 10 verse 13 says, Whosoever calls upon the, the Lord will be saved. Friend, that means even, even you and even me. Even a dead dog like Mephibosheth could find grace. And friend, I'm telling you, you, you say, well, there's, there's just no way God could forgive me and save me. You don't know what else happened in my life. Friend, listen, if God can forgive me, he can forgive you. There's no sinner that's beyond the grip of God's grace. John chapter 6, verse 37. Him that cometh to me, I'll in no wise cast out. Jesus says, if you come to him in humility, repentance, and you trust him to be Lord of your life, friend, he'll save you. He'll save you. He'll receive you. But Psalm 51, 17, there must be a brokenness over sin. See, the reason hell's going to be full of a lot of people that pray the sinner's prayer, listen to me. Lord Jesus, forgive me. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. Save me. Because that, those words didn't reflect a repentant heart. Luke 13, 3, they never, they had, listen, now I want to I get rid of these sins, but I've got some sin I'm not giving up for nobody. Can you imagine Mephibosheth saying, now listen, I want to come live here, but for a few months out of the year, I'm going to go back and live in Lodibar. I've got part of my life there that I want to keep. No, friend, that's part of being saved. You realize that you have no life without Jesus Christ, and you give your life now to Jesus Christ, and you trust him to be Lord over it. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, that is, you give your life to lordship in humility and in brokenness through repentance, Luke 13, 3, and Romans 10, 9, and 10, you confess Jesus to be Lord of your life. I want to break it down before we go to the last point. This simple. Listen to me. God has done short everything, everything short of violating your free will to see you saved. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. You're here this morning. You're, listen, you are hearing the message of the gospel that all have sinned, Romans 3.23. There is a penalty for sin, Romans 6.23. Christ died for you, Romans John 3.16, because he loves you. He wants you to have everlasting life. But if you will not, friend, choose to receive that, hell is where you will go for all eternity. There's a choice that has to be. I can't make it for you. I wish I could choose for you. I wish I could, but I can't. For those who have been saved, but you're, you're still battling with lordship issues. You're just not all in. I wish I could choose for you, but I can't. Spiritual choices have to be made by the individual. Gentlemen, you'll not ride your wife's skirt tail into heaven. You have to have your own personal relationship with Christ. You'll not ride your mother's skirt tail into heaven. You'll not ride your daddy's britches leg. You must have your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's a choice you'll make as you respond to the sovereign call of God upon your life. But fourth, notice this. What encouragement? Notice the shepherd's compassion. Remember what David did before. He had a shepherd's heart. He cared for those sheep. He loved those sheep. He took care of them like they were his own children and was willing to die for them and to provide for them. Look what all he wants to do for Mephibosheth when he chooses to respond to this invitation and bring his life under David's kingship. Verse 9 says, And the king said to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, he says, I've given your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to his house. So first off, he restored his life. Don't miss that. Mephibosheth didn't have life really until he came to live with David. He was just existing. So he restored his life. And then secondly, he promised to, to feed him. Look at verse number 10. He says, You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest, that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. He said, I'm going to provide for him. Every need that Mephibosheth has, he's going to find it met in my providing hand. He says, I'm going to provide for him. And then he also tells him, he says that I'm going to adopt him. Look at verse number 11. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my Lord 
The king has commanded his servant. Verse 11, he says, so will your servant do. And as for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. He says, his family's gone. He says, but I'm going to adopt him into my family. You see, friend, when you choose Jesus as Lord in response to his invitation, first off, you get life. Because Ephesians 2, prior to that, spiritually you're dead. But I'm telling you, friend, what life you have, you really don't. There's no true life, there's no joy apart from Jesus Christ. John 10, 10. What does the devil have to offer you? Well, he's the real estate agent for Lodi Bar. He takes you down there. He's like, oh, look how great it is here. You're going to grow a great garden, great life. There's good living down here in Lodi Bar. Still kill and destroy. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. But Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Only real life can be found in Jesus Christ. See, the only place Mephibosheth could find life was at the feet of the king. Now, don't you listen to him this morning. The only place you're going to find life and life more abundantly is at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only place. In Jesus Christ, when you respond to his sovereign call, the compassionate shepherd friend, he'll, you'll find in him your needs met perfectly. Lots of people say, well, you know, we've been getting by. Friend, listen. I don't want to get by. I want the best that heaven can provide, and that can only be found in Jesus Christ. God meets up, Philippians 4, 19, every physical and spiritual need that we have, friend, is met in the Lord Jesus Christ. And see, don't miss this. When I really give my life to Jesus Christ, then I don't have any greeds anymore. I'm only concerned about my needs because I know everything that I need Everything that I need to live a life that is pleasing to Jesus Christ, God will not deny me. He's going to make sure I've got it. And anything I don't have, friend, I obviously don't need, or it would be in there. Ladies, don't you despise, you know, when somebody eats your food, and they're like, you know, well, have you ever tried putting a little nutmeg in that? And like, no, if I thought nutmeg had been in there, I'd have put it in there. You ever, don't look at anybody, anybody here? Have you ever thought about a little, a little salt in here? I've thought about you not eating it anymore. I've, I've thought about that. Friend, listen to me. God is the master cook. And he knows the recipe for the abundant life for you. Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. His, that is, seek first Christ's rule and reign over your life. And then listen, then all these things shall be added unto you. That is everything, friend, that God looks on your recipe card says, this, this is my plan for Chad's life. He has sought my will. He has sought my lordship over his life. Now I'm going to put all these things in. And friend, I can just rest. And so I'm still going to pray and I'm going to see needs. But friend, the faith is I can just trust and know that all those needs are going to be met in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4, 19. And that's because when you respond to the sovereign call, your needs are met perfectly. But if you're tempted by Satan to look around, you're going to look at the lives of others thinking, well, God's holding out on me. That's what Eve thought. Eve looked around, friend, in the garden and thought, why has God kept this one tree from us? Friend, I want to remind you this. When God says, thou shalt not, he's saying, I love you. This is bad for you. Don't do it. When God says, thou shalt do this, God says, I love you. This is good for you. You, you, you must do this. That takes faith and that takes trust. In Christ alone, we find our needs met perfectly, not loady bar scraps. And then third, friend, you're adopted as a son and a daughter into the family of God. Isn't that great? You may have come from the most dysfunctional background, friend, there's ever been. I mean, your mom and dad, bless them, but they were just no accounts. They didn't encourage you. They didn't help you. I hope that's not the case, but that may be the case this morning or someone that's going to listen to this in a rebroadcast. But I want you to know something, friend. There is a holy God in heaven that wants to be your spiritual father and adopt you into his family through the blood of his son if you'll only respond to his sovereign call and be saved. And the Bible says, friend, you'll, you'll eat at his providing table forever. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 10 says this, for it is fitting for him, Jesus Christ, for whom all things and whom by all things are put fit together in bringing many sons to glory. 
through his suffering, the verse continues to say, Jesus Christ brings many sons and many daughters to glory. And so really, friend, when we get home, it's not that I'm just going to have a family reunion with all the Chandlers who are already there. I'm going to have a family reunion with all of God's family that's already there because as a church family, those who have really been saved, we're a what? We're a family. We're part of the family of God. Romans chapter 8 says we, we've been adopted. We've been adopted. You can't find that anywhere else. Only through the compassionate shepherd can you find those provisions met. And I just wonder sometimes, you know, we sing a lot of music around our house, and Melissa's got Bible verses written on cards, posted everywhere on the refrigerator door. When you go to fill up your glass, she wants the kids to see them and be reminded. We're constantly saying Scripture, challenging each other with Scripture, and just singing songs. And, and we all finish them. You know, we join in, act like idiots, and sing out a key and sing loud. But we're singing truth. And I just have to wonder, you know, from time to time, if David did that around the palace. You know, he just had them, even though he was growing, he had things that were challenging him. We're going to see when we get just a few chapters over, he still had spiritual temptations. But I wonder from time to time, you know, David just began to walk through the house and see people and Mephibosheth was around, and he just began to say, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. And he just looks up to heaven and smiles. He goes, God, you're with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I've just got to imagine, my sanctified imagination, sometimes he just looked at Mephibosheth and said, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. And Mephibosheth would say, forever. How long, Mephibosheth? Forever. You know, the devil had to make him think, well, I, I wonder if David's going to, you know, turn his back on me. I'm going to have to go back to Lodibar. I don't want to lose this anymore. No, friend, when you trust Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life, you are born into the family of God forever. You're always going to be there. And friend, listen to me. You can't find that anywhere else. Satan will try to manufacture and have substitutes, but only in Jesus Christ, can you find that? How did a dead dog like Mephibosheth get a second chance? Because of grace. Because of grace. God's amazing grace. It's his unmerited favor towards us as sinners. David remembered the covenant in the fullness of time, friend. He made a way that Mephibosheth could come live with him. He extended a sovereign call and an invitation. Mephibosheth chose to respond to David's invitation and to experience salvation that could only come under his kingship. And because of that, friend, he experienced the loving compassion of a shepherd. And it's the same for you and I. We're dead in our sins. We're helpless and we're hopeless. But God remembers the covenant that he established. When the fullness of time, he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross, that through Christ's sacrifice, we might have the opportunity to be born again to the family of God. And the Holy Spirit has called us. He has drawn us. He's extended his invitation. But we must choose. If you're here this morning, friend, and listen, you drove here today from Lodi Bar. I've got good news. You don't have to go back home. You don't have to go back home. You can stay in the king's house spiritually, but you must humble yourself like a dead dog that you are, and you must respond to God's amazing grace and choose Christ today to be Lord of your life. If you've never done that, won't you do it right now? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. No one's packing up. Those who have responded before, they're praying like they've never prayed before for you. Friend, you know whether you're saved or lost. You know it. And pride and fear keep you from responding. Pride for what someone's going to think. Fear that you might be rejected. You might be slandered. Who cares? What's the reality? You're lost. The Spirit of God has fetched you and brought you here today. The Word of God has been shared that Jesus died on the old rugged cross in your place and in my place. 
And the Bible says, friend, if you'll simply humble yourself today, humble yourself and receive Jesus to be Lord of your life. That is this, friend. You don't own your life anymore. You give it to Jesus. You give your life to Jesus. If you'll do that this morning, the Bible says, if you'll just call upon him, say, be Lord of my life, forgive me a sinner. The Bible says, no matter who you are, he'll save you. Tell him so, just like this right now where you sit. Say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I'm a dead dog. I'm helpless. I'm hopeless without you. Your Spirit's convicted me of my lostness and my need for you. And I want to trust Jesus, not, not to be my Savior, but to be Lord of my life. And by that, you're going to save me from my helpless, hopeless state. That's my confession today. Did you pray that? Did you mean it with all your heart? Did you really trust Christ to be Lord of your life? Now, I want to invite you to make your way down to the front in just a moment. Now, I want to encourage you in what God wants to do next in your life. You know, you may be here this morning, you're like Brother Tom. You made that decision many years ago, but you've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism. Don't let another day go by, friend. Bad, biblical baptism takes place after salvation, not before it. Aren't you glad, friend, and encouraged in this that Ziba didn't just say, well, who cares about Mephibosheth? Let him, let him go for himself. Maybe somebody else will go and tell him. He had the blessing, friend, of going and being a part of bringing Mephibosheth. Ziba had the blessing of being a part of bringing Mephibosheth to David. And God's given us the great privilege, friend, of helping bring people to Jesus Christ. Are you doing that daily? Are you living on mission? Or are you so consumed by your life and your affairs that you walk by those that are a dead dog in their sin? Ask God to break your heart today. Father, I pray you'll speak to your church. Strip away apathy and indifference over lostness. And God, other hearts, other lives, other churches might be stagnant with doctrine. But God, we pray this will be a place where fresh water flows freely from your word. And the spirit of God dwells and moves because there's a constant filling of the spirit in the hearts and lives of every individual in this church. God, we demonstrate that by our brokenness and our action in helping bring the Mephibosheths of this world to Jesus Christ that they might have the opportunity to choose or reject before it's too eternally late for their soul. God, strengthen us in that commitment. Move us and burden us to action in these days. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. No one's looking around.